You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got the one and only Diego Stucco. Already, now I'm the only. There's not another one of you, is there? You're right, you're right. I feel like an honor because, you know, Rob Arbetier is the one and only. <laughs> oh, Rob Arbetier is the Iron Man. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, nice to be here, Mike. <laughs> and next to him, we've got, joining us after a long time off, Scott Gershon. Hello! That was a hi. Scott, it's good to have you back. That was my Bobby Summerfield impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next to him, we've got our good friend, Brett Johns. Brett's joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And next to him, we've got, well, another stranger who's back, <laughs> Brandon Birdseye. Brandon. Good to be back. And finally, joining us all the way from Austin, Mr. I'm Keeping the Streak Alive, Iron Man of the Audio Nowcasts, Rob Arbiter. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hey, Rob. I love the speakerphone plug in you've got going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the speakerphone. And how many shows is it, Mike? What is this number? This is 135. 135, all right. Show number and one. Keep the streak alive. That's right. Show number 135. And if it, and Rob, we'll forgive you if the um, call breaks off or if you got to go or whatever. I know you're doing a lot of important things out there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff going on, and I, I will actually be back in L.A. tomorrow, but uh, I'm glad I got to join in this way. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I'll mostly just be listening, but I wanted to keep the streak alive. Absolutely. <laughs> and today we are honored to have with us um, actually a, a listener of the Audio Nowcast who also has a pretty cool job. His name is Nick Peck, and he's the Senior Manager of Audio Operations at Disney Publishing. Hey, Mike. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Hey, did, that, did I get that right, by the you way? You did get that right. <laughs> Hard for me to even remember sometimes. <laughs> but uh, Nick wrote us a really nice letter and, and just was a listener. And like I said, all you have to do is just write us and uh, – you too can be on the Audio Nowcast, but actually, he, I went to his website. He does a lot of really cool stuff. He's done a lot of sound design. He's done a lot of interactive games, right? You've done a lot of great games. Tons of video games in my career. Yeah, yeah. that's been most of it. And uh, and so uh, I uh, actually invited Nick to be on our last podcast, but he turned us down. <laughs> no, he was on I had to go back to beautiful Marin <laughs> County and go hang out in the woods there. I'm sorry. So bad. But no, he was on he was on vacation. But but the good thing is is. This is our sound designer podcast. This is uh, our podcast where uh, it's basically um, all sound designers. And the cool thing about the panel that we have here today is I think we've got a representation of pretty much all the different sound design out there. You know, Diego, you've done your the music mm-hmm. and uh, the patches. And Brandon, you do the theatrical and the trailer and music. And Brett, your video games. And, and Nick, your video games and interactive publishing. And Scott, I just make a lot of sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Feature films, <laughs> video games, everything. And, uh, and I do commercials and TV sound design. So I think we're pretty much covered. So this should be Woo-hoo. a really, cool. really cool um, podcast for sound design. But before we get going um, with the sound design, uh, there's a couple things that, that I need to talk about really quick. Um, one is, is last week was just a really, really tough week in the L.A. Um, 
audio scene, you know, we lost a couple really good people. Um, one of them being uh, Mike Shipley, and uh, he was, you know, just a really great mixer. He worked with Mutt Lang and did, you know, if you want to see somebody who pretty much molded a lot of the sound of of music um 80s and 90s and the 2000s you know just go look at his uh, discography and who he's worked with from flock of seagulls to uh, um you know shania twain to def leppard i mean he also mixed uh, martin page's album and just just a really talented guy i actually got to meet him with martin at his place and uh, just a really nice guy and um that was a that was a big loss. It was a big loss for the community. And another was a was a good friend of of uh, of mine who um, who passed away. And um, just you know, I just want to mention this just to kind of keep everything in perspective. Um, if you if you get a moment of get to a moment in your life where you feel like you don't have a way out and let's say you're struck with financial hardships and you have a closet or a rack full of gear, go ahead and sell your gear. I mean, you know, you need to keep everything in perspective, right? It's just gear. It's only gear. Um, gear will come and go, you know. Um, I've known several people who've had hardships and who are very reluctant to, to part with some of their gear. And they may have 15 guitars and and they don't want to part with any of them, yet they're having a hard time paying their bills or, or whatever. And I just I just want to give you guys, <laughs> you know, permission that, you know, you can sell your gear because it's just tools. You know, you need to take care of your of your family. You need to take care of what's important. And you need to put yourself in a really healthy mind space. You need to be able to not succumb to some of the pressure and some of the um, just what it can do with your head if you get under some of these financial stresses and things like that. I started from zero. I built up a little bit of gear and then I hit some financial hardships and boom. It's the great sell-off. Sold off my prized possession. Back in the day, it was my M1 keyboard. That was my first real synth. And I was like, oh, man, I love this synth. I didn't want to sell it, but I sold it. And I I just, I don't know. I just feel really, um, I just, I'm trying not to say names and talk about circumstances. But sometimes if you're faced with that kind of decision, you know, whether you're going to pay rent or pay your bills or buy that piece of gear, just keep it in perspective. That's all I'm saying, gang. I mean, anybody ever been to that point where you've had to sell your gear? I mean, I'm, you know, anybody have any stories like that or? Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of gear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the, the most recent one was, uh, last month. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, actually about three years ago, three, four, Four years ago, I ended up selling, ended up selling all my DJ stuff. Yeah. Um, I kept all my vinyl. I've still got that. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I just you know, just you got to keep it all in perspective. It's just a bunch of knobs and it's just a bunch of circuit boards, and you know, it's not what makes you you. You know, it's merely a tool. You know, I guarantee you, Diego could do amazing sound design if he didn't have his Pro Tool system. He could do it with a tape recorder and a rubber band and <laughs> three pieces of tin foil and a tree. <laughs> I might even try at some point. <laughs> I don't think I've ever sold something in which afterwards I said, "Oh, I miss that. I yeah. can't do what I'm doing anymore." You know, that's just it's gone. It's out of your life, and then the next thing comes along. Yeah. Because goodness knows that the manufacturers are you know generating stuff as quick as they possibly can and they want us all to fill our rooms with it you know yeah uh, it's it, gear will come and go i mean i sold that m1 just to show you how things 
kind of come all the way around. I picked up a M3 last week, uh, 88 <laughs> key, full blown for a ridiculous amount for like 900 bucks, practically brand new. So it's like it, it just all come, gear will come and go, you know. And you know what's also nice is that um, sometimes you, a lot of us have gear that is stacked up and. You know, it's the old version of either software or hardware. And one of the things I like to do is, um, instead of just keeping it in the garage and just making it go to waste, I'll find a student or somebody young who's just getting into town, who's got no money, right. <laughs> yeah. who's just, you know, just trying to start off. And I'll just give it to them. And just That's say, a good here, idea, actually. Because I'm not using it. It's yeah. literally door stops. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I don't care. But for that person, I'm like, oh, my God. Right. You know, this yep. is great. That's how I got my start. Someone gave me the – it was Reason 2.0 right. several years ago. That was my first piece of uh, computer software for audio. Yeah. Yeah. See, <laughs> so you know what? If you've got gear and you've got excess gear – and you don't need the money, you know, there's no harm in giving it away. If you're in a place where you need money and you have gear, there's no harm in selling your gear, you know? I mean, if you have 13 guitars, okay, keep one or two, all right? You know, there's 11 more, you know? It's just, I guarantee you, it's going to make, you're going to make a, you know, your wife's going to be happy, your girlfriend's going to be <laughs> happy. I mean, it's it's just gear, guys. That's that's all I'm saying. Just keep it in perspective. All right. Now let's talk about gear. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's uh, let's let's just start talking about um, about sound design. That I've got all mm-hmm. the sound designers and and very you know right off the bat, let's define what sound design is. Diego, what's your definition of sound design? To me, sound design is. Uh, Basically, the, um, reimagining the world through your imagination. Because you hear something, and you reimagine it in a different way, and then you make it happen. But in, it was imagination in the first place anyway. <laughs> because what you hear might be different from what someone else has heard. So that's how I see it. It's like you see the life through an audio kaleidoscope. And you switch it a little bit, you, you turn it, and hey, there's something else right there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, what's your definition of sound design? You know, for me, I come from the music side as well. And, and you know, when I was in college, the, I heard the defini- definition of music is, uh, is organized noise. And it really resonated with me. So when I went from music to sound design, you know, music has the ability to create an emotional reaction. So when I started looking at sound design, I started looking at sounds, whether they're from nature, whether they're reconstructed. And basically, it's taking sounds. I don't care where it comes from, rubbing things, banging things, um, and, and basically manipulating it to create an emotional response, whether it be musically, whether it be against picture, uh, whether it's creating fantasy, where all of a sudden... You growl in a mic, drop the pitch, and all of a sudden you got a monster. You know, or anything anything that the imagination, like you were saying, can come up with. It's the uh, the art of noise. It's the you know, it's the imagination of of music, you know. Brent. I think it's interesting that you said um, you know, either to picture or in a musical context. because um, I, I feel like there's a lot of there are a lot of people 
that have been in sound a long time. They're sound editors, and they kind of take offense to people saying, "I'm a sound designer," uh, and they've been sound editing for how long? And you're like, "Oh, I'm a sound, but well, I'm a sound designer." Um, and something that I've heard that I thought was interesting. I, I know there's, a, I think it's, it's called SoundDesign.org. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have yes. interviews with a lot of great people on Designing there. Sound.org. Designing sound Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah, it. And um, <clears throat> I think that they had they had said that the person that actually coined it was the guy who did Apocalypse Now. I'm not sure what that guy. Yeah, it was, was a, it was a, it was Walter Walter Murch. Murch, right? It was a union issue because he was not in the union. Yeah, they wanted to give him a sound credit. They couldn't give him a sound editing. So they said sound designer. Sound designer. <laughs> so but, I think that people think it was a, an ego thing. It was a union issue. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is interesting in the fact that, we, especially if you look at film, um, it's, I had read somewhere that it is taking a world, like you're saying a world, creating a world in which everything in that world sounds like it's from that world. So like when uh, Ben Burt did Star Wars, when you hear the sounds from that area, it's it sounds like it's from Star Wars. Everything sounds like it's coming from that one context. Or when he did WALL-E, those sounds in WALL-E, it sounds like it's all from that context. But with music... Um, it's fascinating uh, to listen to. I'm not sure, Diego, what your background is. I, kn- I know that you've done. Do you uh, know um, Spectrosonics? Yeah, yeah, Spectrosonics. Exactly, that's what it is. Yeah, the stuff that is done in there with uh, uh, like killing a piano, or all, <laughs> you know, all that yeah, stuff. I've rescued it actually <laughs> <laughs> through fire. I mean, it's not as obvious, but right. it was actually through fire. Exactly, but it, it's fascinating. But I, I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a fairly broad-reaching definition, and it all d- depends on context. If I could just add one thing before we go is, because you were talking about Ben Burton, Walter Murch, which are kind of somewhat mentors and of mine, ins- inspirationally, it's kind of two approaches, because Ben Burt did sound design on the per-sound level, where he created, as we all know, Star Wars and, and the amazing, iconic sounds that we all grew up with. You look at Walter Murch, and what he did is he took common sounds and used them in unusual ways, such as Apocalypse Now, the helicopter that blends into the fan. So he uses normal sounds in a very dramatic way. It's not as much about the individual sound, but how they're used. And so there's really, I see there's two camps right. in, on, in the post side of how they, they went about it. You know, that's interesting you say that. Um, we're going to get to these definitions because uh, I have something right okay. along those lines. Nick, what do you think uh, sound design is? Well... <laughs> For me, sound design is going out and grabbing sounds in the real world and pretty much what Scott said, recontextualizing them, taking them and manipulating them, not through, you know, sort of extreme plugins, but manipulating them in really basic ways, slowing them down, speeding them up, turning them around and remixing them and creating something new that works within a new context or within a new space because of them. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about this, I was thinking about The Exorcist and, you know, some of the sound design that they did there where they took sounds that just like tickle your reptile brain you know the sounds of bees and of pigs squealing and stuff like that and you know even back then in the early 70s they were taking that material and they were mixing it in with reagan's screams and with the sounds that she was making and these utterances that were coming out of her mouth to make it sound like the devil and i don't know about you but i was you know seven in 1972 and that stuff scared the daylights out of me (laughs) Brandon, how about you? Well, I was thinking about this the other day in the context of sound design and music. We were working on a, a trailer, and um, there's big monsters, not not Pacific Rim, another <laughs> Warner Brothers monster movie. And uh, you know, I had composed this, you know, this music for it, and it was it was very, you know, monstrous. It's almost like sound design, you know, rhythmic sound design. And uh, 
you know, the director was saying it's, you know, where do you draw? Like, are people going to think that that is the monster sound, you know, because it's just a cool signature sound element that we're using in the music and in the trailer. And uh, I was thinking about that, that it's like at least 50% music is sound design. Like you can know, like Scott was saying, it's organized noise. Like you can know how to put the notes, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a musician as much as a sound designer, you know, to, to create music. And it's just, it's, I think music falls into sound design more than, Sound design falls into a music these category, days. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very blurry. You can't really. Make you know, clear I mean, it's not like you exhausted all the options of those twelve notes, but there is room for something else, yeah. and that something else is moods created without yeah. being descriptive. Yep. Without. Yeah. And it's not also melodic based. Exactly. All of a sudden, you hear something. You go, oh my god, that gave me the chills. Yeah. 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 Well. It's yeah. microtonal. It can be absolutely you know, very complex, harmonically speaking. Yeah, I think all your definitions were fantastic, and I'm finding as a sound designer and a mixer, I blur the lines yeah. all the time. Some stuff you're in sound design mode, and then you go into mix mode. And, and I'm fortunate that I can, you know, sound design my own stuff that I'm going to mix. It's like one thing for me. I, I go in there, and it's you, you blur the line. I will say though that you have the sound designer, but then you also have the sound editor. The sound editor could be a sound designer sometimes, but sometimes they're just a sound editor, and sometimes they're pretty dang good at being a sound editor. And I'll, and I'll tell you, for example, you get editors who can use you know practicals, and they can use the sound effects library, and they know how to make a scene come to life. They'll they'll be there, they'll know, they'll hit. But then you can ask the same sound designer, you know, the same person to you know, give me a monster and they may not be able to do the best monster, you know, although they could edit and they believe me. And that is a skill um, in and of itself. You know, you get somebody who knows how to tighten up fully and you get somebody who knows oh, yeah. how to, how to I, make a life, uh, a scene come to life. And I think, I think I agree with you on the sound editing because some people kind of go, well, sound editing is not sound design. And I had some editors work with me uh, recently on a handful of projects who were just seasoned. I mean, these guys were like great and you see the craftsmanship, and even as silly as a door opening, because it was a period piece, yeah. and the weight and the yeah. clarity, yeah. and it's the choice. It's, it's like music, the choices that you make. Yeah. Right. It's so easy to play a lot of notes and make it muddy and make it that, but saying, you know what, that's the one sound that I think is perfect right. for that. All of a sudden, it's got air, it's got clarity, it's got weight, it's got definition. It's just choosing the right sound or the right combinations and that's sound editing. And that and you know what? And there's nothing wrong with being a good sound editor and maybe not having the chops of being a sound designer. I mean, it's it there's they're both great disciplines and they're both really important. Vice versa, I've worked on the other side where I've I've worked with people who could do really great drow and make great, interesting sound effects and sound design. Yet, you know, when it comes to the practicals, they just, they just, they miss it and they don't see it and they, they don't, they, you know, it just doesn't have the life. You know, a door close is, is a really good example because there's so many different ways to do a door. There's so many different types of doors. There's solid core doors. There's hollow core doors. There's, you know, you know, metal doors. There's inside doors. There's Where's the door? Doors. Exactly. You know, right. it, there's, in the context of the and, scene and, and, and even, everything. And I'll even say that, and I know we'll talk about it more later, but in my last movie, we had a lot of water, a lot of water, a lot of rain, a lot of thunder. But we had one guy who's our sound editor doing that so when you go underwater and you come back up 
it's not sound design. It's actually sound editing. Right. I mean, it's a fine line between it. Right. But all of a sudden, you go, God, that was so tasty. Right. And it and, was just, you know. And it's not like, and it's not like one is necessarily even better than the other. I'm, I'm giving props to both sides of the coin because it's just as important to. to At the end to of the day, it. as long as you develop your own aesthetic. You right. become an artist. It doesn't yeah, matter what's your discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you act as an artist, and you put your art in everything you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm in awe of of good sound editors as much as I'm in awe of good sound designers. And being on the mixing side of things, when I get stuff that's fed to me uh, to mix. And it's really good. I'm like, man, this is really good. Whether it's a good sound editing or sound design, and even even good dialogue editing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, people oh, yeah. don't really know what that is, but all of a sudden, you'll go, wait a minute, I now understand that word. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Well, I stole the S from here or the F yeah. from there, and I rebuilt yes. the line yeah. with the performance. And I can't tell, but now I can hear everything. Yeah. Yeah, and and see, so there's a you know sound, sound design, sound manipulation. It's just it's getting more and more specialized. It's always been kind of specialized. It's like now, cutting diamonds, basically. Yeah, yeah. but now it's with, a craftsmanship. With, yeah. yeah, but it's also let me just say this: there's a lot of people that do it, but there's a few people that do it really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people. It seems like everybody and their grandmother could call themselves a sound designer, <laughs> but. There's a lot of people that call themselves that, but they're not even really good sound editors. They're not even really good. They just they can't even place the sound. And yeah. and just you know, I don't know. That's that's just sound. Um, just manipulation is is so important, and the whole sound design and the whole the whole sound editing. Go, you say Mike, I just wanted to jump in. You were talking about the door, right? The sound of the door, and right. you know what a sort of simple everyday sort of thing that is and it brought up two memories of mine of really great sound design moments just including doors the first one um, is the very end of the godfather in which al pacino goes and closes the door and it's the door of betrayal sound as oh, yeah. his wife realizes you know yeah. who he's become and they were so careful about choosing the right sound of the door closing there um, and the other one from the early 60s there's a piece of tape music by a composer named pierre Henri called variations on a door and a sigh and it's 10 minutes you would love this diego it's 10 minutes of you know tape music of doors closing and doors opening and it becomes it's you know you focus in on the beauty of the sound outside of the context of just what an everyday door is and it's just a pretty magnificent piece of art well it's you know everyday sounds are are really more complex than you think they are. And, and I know, you know, Scott, well, everybody here can can relate to that. Yep. For instance, when I was doing the Toshiba commercials, I had to do a bunch of bees. And like I was, I said on a podcast, there's a fine line between a bee and a fly. You know, a bee is 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 like a fly on steroids. Yes. <laughs> you know, the fly is like, and the bee is you know, you know what's the next step? What? Hummingbirds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, in the scale. No, you know what? It's so funny you said that because part of the sound design was actually uh, I pitched a hummingbird down a little bit mm-hmm. to give it because the hummingbird has a little bit of weight in its wings because mm-hmm. obviously the wings are a little bigger. Mm-hmm. But the bee has that 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 trebly little whiny droney little thing. <laughs> so, but it it just does not. It doesn't punch out on a mix, right? Yeah. So I had to get a little bit of honeybird and throw that in there, and then and then you put those two <laughs> together, and you get a you get a pretty decent beat. Yeah. You just got to stay away from the fly because everybody knows what a fly yes. sounds yeah. like, and that's the thing is, is that going they know the fly side the glass though. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I interview uh, young sound designers or people that want to be sound designers. 
I, 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 it's not a trick question, but I've been known for it, so I don't, guess I don't use it anymore because too many people know. But I asked them to define rain for me. What does rain sound like? And usually that question alone can help me decide what they hear in their head. Because some people go, oh, I don't know, heavy rain, light rain, rain, wet rain, rain. You know, and, and you, you hear that and then occasionally you'll get somebody going, rain on window, rain on puddle, rain going down a gutter, going slow, slow drips. All of a sudden it becomes a whole rhythm collage. And you want to make something as simple as rain, which most people don't even think about, is it like a, a Georgia, you know, really humid, wet, slow? Are you setting the pace? Drip, drip, drip. So all of a sudden you're setting this pace, so it's a drip, 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 and it's got a lot of energy to it, right. and you're hearing swells against the side of a boat. Or, in other words, something as simple as rain, you know, and, and when I interview people, and it's interesting if they start going into, my God, there's so many t- different types of rain, and it depends on how the emotional content is it, which is something it's as true. simple as rain. In fact, when you said this sentence, I was going to say, do we have a week to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Because it, it opens up so many options. Let's go to this next thing that I want to talk about. We all define what is sound design. Now, I'm going to ask everybody before our break. When you are given a sound design task, how do you start your sound design? Hmm. And and if if you want to think about it, I can go first, Diego. Or no, you. I mean in in my case because uh, I'm doing a lot of music sound design right. in the context of music in my own music and when I create uh, sounds and stuff like that. Um, I it's a story. I have a, a a setting. I have a story, and that defines the color. Even with the rain, I did a piece of music with the rain called Transformed Rain. I started hearing harmonies inside rain because it was hitting a bucket that I left outside, upside down. So that's how the process starts to me. It's in my mind. And then the way I get there, uh, which EQ or whatever plugin I use, it's just a byproduct of that. Brandon, when you're you're faced with a task and your sound design let's say for a trailer and you got to come up with a really you know big transition mm-hmm. how do you approach that for how do you approach the the thump the hit the swoosh stuff i mean you do all the right, big right. sounds well when you're composing we ran into this issue the other day sometimes like obviously there's actions that motivate a sound sometimes but sometimes there's not like we we're doing a, a scene of skydivers falling and what motivated the the transitions were the cuts you know, so there's no real sound happening, but it's when the editor's cutting. It's another thing. Um, but first thing I, I line up is the uh, the rhythm. What the rhythm's going to be? So I mean, it could be a simple, just you know, one you know one shot thing, but it could be a couple you know you know a couple different things going on. But getting getting something in place that that you can hang the rest of your sounds on is the quickest way I, I find to get things done. You get a structure, you get a skeleton, basically. Whether it's, you know, the low, whether you just start with a kick drum sample, doom, okay, there's my spot, or doom, doom. And then you can start laying things around it, reversing things, ramping into it, you know, the decay out of it, um, all sorts of things. Really he, he said a word, he said composing, which is the actual appropriate yeah. word for when you do sound design right. because you're composing a structure out of frequencies, you know, you don't yeah. call them A, C, D, whatever. But they still follow compositional, uh, you know, 
rules or whatever, yeah. you know, that kind of inspirational process. Right. They, they do, yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to throw it to you. When, you. when you're starting a character and you're going to do sound design for, uh, for a video game character, what's your approach? How do you start? Sure, and I was going to address that. Uh, in addition to, like, if you're doing something that's linear, like what you were talking about, it's something, it's like you said, you have to hang things there. But you have to know, I think you to get that structure, you have to know, where are we starting? Where are we ending up? And where are the points that are going to be important along that time? So you need to set the structure up of that linear thing so that you hit all of those things. And you have, just like you were talking about in terms of composing, you have harmony and you have dissonance. Uh, you, you have to know when to pull back and when to let it go, what things are more important. Because sometimes there's just so much going on that it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's just... You there find are, the beats of the scene. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of the character... Um, I usually do a lot of research on who this person is and what their background is and like where they come from. Like, what, I mean, for Marvel, it's like uh, what sort of technology, uh, what's their background? Because some, some characters are so complex, they're a combination of all sorts of things. So you have to know what's going on there. And then sometimes they take transitions throughout their comic career so you have to know okay so what are they doing with this what style is this guy is this guy from the comics in 1967 or 1988 or you know you know what i mean you have to be true to i think that's one of the things that they've really tried to do so you got to do your homework basically you got to do your homework you, and i think originally um uh when I was there, they were like, oh, well, don't forget there's this and there's that. And then they're talking – they're giving me the, the heads up in my cue sheets about what's going on. And then after a while, I'd be like, yeah, but you forgot about this and there's this and what about that? Because like, I, I did so much research because right. I wanted to make sure I was getting it all done. Um, but in terms of the, like, the, the sounds of whether it, it would be this character or that character, I mean, I think everything is different. I don't think I have one single approach for any character. Gotcha. Well, you do. You've got your you study. That's I mean that's 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 your approach. You study the character, which is which is a good great place to start. Um, Nick, yeah. when you need when you start a sound design project, how do you start it? Where do you start? Same thing as Brett. I like doing lots of research, um, particularly when I'm involving myself in franchises, uh, you know, Star Wars and X Men and other things. It sounds like we've been dipping, you know, in the same puddles quite a bit. Um, I think one great story along those lines, I was the audio director for Star Wars Battlefront, which was... I you know, know that pr- game. You remember that game? Yes. So it's a pretty big LucasArts game. I worked yeah. at LucasArts for a long time. Wait, um, hold on. Moment of silence. LucasArts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long topic that we could talk about for quite some time. I know. But it was, it was a phenomenal experience for me because I really went out and studied, you know, not only the sounds that Ben Burt had made, but the process through which he made them. And I really tried to sort of get into his head and say, all right, if I was making new Star Wars sounds, how would I make them so that they would sound like they were within the right universe and so that I was doing things the right way? And so in addition to using a lot of the raw materials that he'd created, I went out and created new lightsaber sounds and new blaster sounds and things like that. You know, what would it sound like if Ben had made a sniper rifle blaster, that kind of thing? And I did all of that and probably the greatest compliment I've ever received in my career was when that game was done, um, his assistant played it to him and he said, yep, that sounds like Star Wars, all right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I want to tell you, when, when I approach a sound design project, I usually get no time <laughs> to do any studying because I show up in the morning and they go, okay, here's what you're going to be doing today. <laughs> and then I look at it. At, but there's a couple things that, that I, I look at. First of all, um, 
when I do commercials, um, what are they? What are they trying to tell? What's the story? You know, what are they? What's what's going to happen? And then I usually break up the sounds that I need into um, the frequencies. Like, what kind of high end stuff do I need? What kind of you know mid range stuff? What kind of low end stuff? And and where's going to be the hits? Where are going to be the points? Things like that. And then you know I go much like Brandon said. I'll just put placeholders in. If it's bees, I'll put a bunch of bees in. If I'm doing a a video game and you know and it's an airplane going down or something, I'll find a stock sound for an airplane going down. And you just put all these placeholders in, and then. Oh, you don't record an airplane, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's but, all the fun. <laughs> but but once I get the once you get the sketch going, then you can start, you know, having some fun and, and throwing little, stuff down the window. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's when you that's when you know what you need, you know. I, I, and then a lot of times, since I'm mixing, you know, sometimes I'll get other people's sound design that I'll have to augment, or sometimes the client will say they really hate that and can <laughs> change it all, and you've got a day, and you're like, okay. Yeah. But um, but you know, I, I think the the approach is is pretty much what everybody says. You got to see what the story is. You got to see what what's important, and you got to see where you're going to go, and then you just you. Start with your placeholders. You start putting it, and the scene will At some come. point, someone should do a video, though, of Scott doing <laughs> the monsters <laughs> filming you. <laughs> but um, but that's you know that's that's an approach that that I use when you know when you're caught with that that deadline of like okay we need this you start in the morning you need it by the end yeah. of the day yeah, and yeah. you got to go and I I have. You know, I have a booth right next to me, and I have a microphone, and I am not opposed to using it to, to. I did, <laughs> I did a whole um, new egg commercial where I just um, is very organic, and it was very um, a lot of natural sounds, um, and I I did the Scott Gershon effect. I did a lot. Of, <laughs> 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 I'll tell you, but it's amazing because that and time, reverb. If, you know? <laughs> if you can make it with your yeah, mouth, it works. oh yeah. Why would you try to no. make it with a synth? Start with your mouth, yeah, and then go ahead and, well, and look, process. I use I a know. lot of this. I yeah. use a lot of that. You know what that sound is? That's bubble pops. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, see yeah, bubbles yeah. coming up. Yeah. It's a, it's, right, just, right, it's that right, sound, right. you know. Well, listen. sometimes the coolest sounds are the simplest sounds. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Well, listen, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to ask Scott his approach for starting, and we're going to talk about Pacific Rim, and that's our starting point for uh, for when we come back from the break. All right, so we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking about all kinds of stuff, sound design related. And, you know, one thing that this podcast has taught me is we got to do a lot more podcasts about sound design. Stuff. I was going to you know what? I feel like, you know, we're going to, we're going to visit with Scott right now and then it's, it's going to be time to end. And there's so much more we can, I mean, we barely oh, yeah. scratched the surface. We've all just 
talked about starting. We haven't even started our sound design process, which we'll get into a little bit. But just so you guys know, we're all coming back. I don't know when, but we're going to do all sound design again. We might do it quarterly. I want to spend one on Diego. (laughs) Hey, we'll do one on everybody because there's a a lot of good stuff. Seriously, because, I mean, just the disciplines that are sitting around this table right now is phenomenal. Um, and uh, at the end of the podcast, you know, we'll go around and give everybody's, you know, credit for what they've done. Um, but speaking of credit for what they've done, Pacific Rim, that Scott, let me just tell you, you did a phenomenal job. And the, the cool thing about Pacific Rim is, if you've been listening to our podcast, you've we've all kind of been on the journey with with Scott. I remember, like I said, it was a. It started off as I can't talk about it, <laughs> <laughs> and then he asked me about about those noises and music from a dry cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah. That's right. It's, so I can't talk about it. I'm working. I'm working on this special project. I'm working on this. So and then finally, the first time it was like Pacific Rim. And the funny thing is, is like you did the movie, right? Yeah. Brandon worked on the the trailer. The trailer, yeah. Trailer Park finished two. The two main trailers and a bunch of TV spots. I did some web stuff for them. (laughs) I mean, it's like we all kind of touched a little bit of the Pacific Rim. But the movie, Scott, by far was just phenomenal. And let me just tell you, my biggest complaint about the movie is Scott did not get his own card. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I mean, come on. You know, without the sound, it's just a, a bunch of visuals of a big things moving in slow motion, right? The thing I love about about Pacific Rim and let's we're going to talk about this is you know the weight and the yeah. beef and just there's a little bit of everything there's there's the mechanical there's the monsters but then there was the the practicals and you had the fights and you had the inside and you had the human stuff and you had the chases and I mean it was just there was just a lot of everything and it sounded great and and I saw it in IMAX and the sub was rocked I mean you you hit the lows really good and not in a mushy, you know, yeah, you know, loose way. You know, sometimes you hear these action movies and they just throw in. It's what what is that famous sound? Son, um, subsonic boom that you hear on everything. There's this subsonic boom sound effect that is basically exactly what it says. A subsonic boom. It's just boom, boom. <laughs> you know, just basically, you know, person's walking up the stairs. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. You know, I mean, but the low end just was really, really controlled and just really focused. And I never thought. That the mix was cluttered. I always thought it was very, you know, it was mixed well. The sound design was well. And let's start with you, Scott. How, <laughs> how do you approach this? Tell me your process for for this for, film specific. Yeah, specific. You know, um, Guillermo, who I love. I mean, I've, I've worked with him on numerous occasions, and and but uh, kind of creative kindred spirits um, said to me, you know, I want you to create something. I'm going to give you time. I give you a budget, but I want you to do something special. And, um, you know, the first thing I did was got the script. Then I flew out to the set, and I saw that, which is, you know, I'm a big kid. You know, it's like, oh, my God, this is great. You know, and, <laughs> but I had no clue how it was all going to come together. And then I read the script and said, okay, 25-story creatures, and there's a bunch of them. And they all need to be different. Then I have these 25-story mechas. So I said, oh, okay, so I need some big sounds. And then, you know, it's the imagination run wild. So I started thinking, what can go bang? What's big? Uh, one of the things I thought, I said, I'm going to get mining equipment, and I'm going to go record these giant earth movers, and this will be great. And 
So I researched that out because at one point there w- in the script there was going to be an Earth mover, but they didn't end up using it. Um, and then I went out and, and we searched it out and recorded it and realized they don't make any sound. They're actually really quiet. <laughs> then I, I mean, the engines were much bigger. So I was like, wow, that's not going to work. <laughs> so then I said, I've got to destroy something big. Now, I, I figured I've dropped cars and I've smashed cars, but they have this kind of like thin sound. I need something big. So then I said, I need to destroy a cargo container. And I'm not sure how to do that. I figured somebody's got to do it. So we started researching out. We called Long Beach uh, Pier, and we realized there was a place that didn't destroy them but fixed them. So we said, okay. So we went out. I did a little scouting mission, and um, we ended up dropping 80-foot cargo containers. Now, you got to remember the giant openings, and they resonate. So you drop one on top of another, and you get the sound that is Boom. Crazy big. <laughs> First time we did it, me and, and one of my other sound designers, we all just started giggling. Because <laughs> it, it made a gunshot seem small, and the low-end breeze that came at you was just crazy. So we said, all right, we're coming back, and we go in there. So we, we, we went back twice, and we brought like 36 mics, and, and we've got a, a, a recordist friend who uh, works with us, guy named Charlie Campagna, who you guys, you should meet Diego because you guys are insane. Um, so we had contact mics. He took the uh, hard drive magnets and created mic clips. We went uh, the, to this cargo container place and, and they used forklifts and they dropped, first of all, they took one of them and dropped it on its on the cement. And that was amazing. So we hung mics in it. We put contact mics on it. I put, took, brought a bunch of drum mics. We brought like 36 microphones uh, and lots of recorders and figured something was going to capture something interesting. Also, we realized that we mic'd it for frequency. Some things are high frequencies, some are low frequencies. Some are going to capture air, some are going to capture width. I took like a DPA 5100 and, and parked it 50 yards away just to get all the different perspectives. And then we smashed it. And these guys had a great time. And they were like, here, let me move another one on top of another one. And here, let me drop that one. And we're like, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> so we did that. And that was a big chunk of the sounds of the internal mechanisms of the Jaegers, the, the mechas. Wow. Um, we then, uh, I, I recorded animals. I went up, uh, recorded elephants and tigers and lions and bears, literally. Oh, my. Um, oh, my. <laughs> and uh, you, well, the greatest thing is, though, a lot of the bigger animals, um, to get them really excited is difficult because they, it takes a lot of energy. Um, then, uh, I don't know, I came up with this weird idea I wanted to record raccoons. Um, so we found a pest control guy huh. who basically gets raccoons out of your attic. Wow. Sometimes there's mamas and babies. So um, we brought them in to our vocal booth, and and mama just didn't want any I part of it. I just hope you have pictures of – you have – We do, do have pictures. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, Because <laughs> I need to see this. Yeah, so, and, so mama's <laughs> hissing, and, and again, we surrounded it with 10 mics because, you know, mics to me off color. So before we go with plugins, you know, I'll use a 47, something weird. You know, I'll use Sheps, I'll use shotguns, I'll use um, small mics, I'll use little uh, uh, lavalier mics. Things just because the mic placement and the mic you choose has a lot to do with what the sound's going to sound like. So, and a lot of times it's cheap. Tracks are cheap. Takes a lot of time to go through it. But a lot of times you say, I love it, love it, hate it, hate it. And then pop a compressor on it, smash it. Now what does it sound like? Um, so we did a lot of that. The raccoons are a, bi- are a lot of the creatures. 
But also the thing with me on this movie was uh, all the creatures and all the mechas had to sound different. So then we had to get. Then we started seeing picture, and we started seeing rough cuts. Um, so we, I started going. Okay, the Russian one. We realized uh, Cherno is going to be because the way it walked and, and just kind of the vibe was going to be very low tech but very heavy. Right. Um, Gypsy is our uh, combustion engine style. We use like trains. <laughs> You know, a little bit. Right. Uh, the Chinese, I uh, did chop suey. You know, when it locked into place. Right, right. And I tried to say, hey, look, here's a little reminiscent of kind of martial arts. Right. Uh, gypsy was, you know, high high wine, high tech. I'm sorry, not Gypsy, uh, Striker. Right. Why? Because it's the latest, most high tech. So I tried to find sounds that were signature enough. Then we had uh, the uh, the Kajus, which are the creatures. And everybody had to be different. Uh, and boy, was that a bitch, to be honest. Um, and, well, because, I mean, Knife Head comes out, and, and, and I said, all right. Because that's, well, it also, it was kind of like music in that musically you got to go somewhere. Because if you do something really cool at the beginning, you have nowhere to go. Right. So my first creature was actually the Brid creature. Then we went to Knife Head. Each creature had to get something interesting. So Knifehead was a little homage for me for Godzilla, a little bit. And, and the bridge we wanted to make a little, because it's part of a montage, we wanted to do a little something, see yeah, it's a creature, make it big, but not do anything that special. Um, I didn't, the first one was a homage for Godzilla. And uh, one of our other guests that were here about a year ago or two years ago was Tina Guo. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so Tina, I brought in two years ago. Uh, with her electric cello, detuned it, destrung it. She played squeals and low end roars, and we we kind of made it vocalize. Put it through a Marshall amp, I put it through Axe Effects. We recorded it normal, and created this massive cool library of squeals and growls and all from a cello. And then I could take that and pitch it and manipulate it for days. Um, and that we used for uh, end abusing for Knifehead, and then the guys at the end. You know, so you know you go in, and there's many, many ways. I mean, the approach to sound design for me is is like sculpting clay. I go through libraries first. I go and I come up with these crazy ideas to what to record, and I'd say thirty percent of it's useless. But I'll use it on another film. <laughs> what a great idea! It doesn't work. Next, okay. So you come up with this massive library, but then I go through my library and I go, that would be good, that would be good, that would be good, that would be good. And then all of a sudden, in our library, we had this bizarre recording of a bulldog that had, it didn't sound like a bulldog. It just sounded alien, the way it was snorting. So I went, ooh, that's kind of cool. Okay, put that, mark that, put that away. And you just kind of spend days going through the library thinking of ideas. And then you build, I think my, <laughs> uh, my, uh, the Kaju library was probably half a terabyte. Wow. Session. So it was massive. But, I, you know, kind of wish Pro Tools had folders. Um, <laughs> yeah, no now, kidding. Scott, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you assign, like, one sound designer to each Kaiju or each no, know, Jaeger? No, no. Um, um, what we did was uh, we broke it up. Uh, I handled most of the uh, of the Kaju. Uh, me and then I had another guy uh, came in and did Anabob, the, the crab creature. Mm-hmm. But see, I'm working with each one. I had uh, another guy doing the Jaegers. 
another guy doing all the oceans, one guy doing drift. The problem we ran into was um, uh, uh, we didn't have a lot of time. Even though, even though it sounds like we were on 18 months, ILM would give us a picture on a Thursday, we mixed on a Monday. So um, uh, uh, we did – it was crazy. It was like, oh my god, how many hours in a day? Ready, go. And we would work insane because – Wait, they, we, they'd give you a picture on Well, Thursday? ILM, they're like, like – when we did our first temp because we were doing storyboards. Right. And I said, all right, uh, there's a one section of storyboards. Are we going to get any animation? No, no animation. Oh, OK, great. I'll worry on the rest of the film. Then all of a sudden, Thursday pops up. We're going to mix on a Tuesday. Uh, and all of a sudden, boom, it's all animated. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I go to Guillermo. I go, what do you want to get out of this? He goes, I want a picture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he's trying to accomplish what he – to impress the studio for the first, you know, rough look-see. <clears throat> so then we're like, all right. Let, you know, and, and again, because I love the guy so much, we literally move mountains. And everybody gets on it. You work – all the time and then you don't sleep you sleep when you can and you just start going after it and then you chase the stage and there's lots of changes and 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 you're running from the seat of your pants but hopefully we we built libraries enough right so you know and 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 what was great opportunity for this film was the first temp i did every trick that i knew how to do that i've done in the past so like um at one point after the second or third temp Guillermo comes to me and says, I don't like Itachi. I said, yeah, Itachi sucks. Because that was the last creature to get animated. And I just threw, because of scream. <laughs> he just screamed all the time. And I, I used, at one point, a lot of lizards and squeals <laughs> of, of birds. and Because it was kind of that creature. And then um, it, it just wasn't happening. So then... I agreed with him. I said, "Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm, you know, I kind of, you know, it's, this was hard." And Itachi is the biggest role in it, so I left Itachi for last. Um, and then, um, you know, I ended up using brake squeals and just weird stuff that, um, and then you know, putting tremulations on it and, um, and just weird, you just. Plug in, plug in, you know, saturations, a lot of saturations, a lot of compression, a lot of things uh, to just make it interesting. And uh, chasing that was interesting. We used whale calls for the underwater stuff. and But we didn't want to sound like the typical, you know. Right. We, you know, and we used metals and, um, I, you know, it got to the point where I, I sometimes forgot where it came from. Because after working on it for almost a year and a half, it just doesn't matter anymore. Right. <laughs> You know, it just goes. And then what was great about it was we did a first pass, like I said, that we knew how to do. And then we kind of scrapped it and did it again. <laughs> and said, okay, because there's always times where you do a film, we do a project, and you go, God, you know, now that I listen to it, I'd love to change it up. I'd like to, you know, eh, that's too normal. That's too whatever. So we had that chance. We went back in and we... You know, and I work with my crew and my beat my crew up and we beat each other up and <laughs> and it was like, No, 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 that's not right. Let's use that, let's use that plug in. Ooh, new plugin came out. Let's try that plugin. Let's do that. Nah, that that's too transformer ish. We didn't want to be transformers, we wanted to have our own unique sound. But also I think it was so easy to go sci fi with this and to go way over the top and you know, electronic and right. all that. We didn't want to do that because right. one of the things Guillermo said to me is these are battleships that have gone vertical. 
that if we had to build it now, what would it sound like? So, and then he said, you know, it would be great to have trains. So there's one part with steam coming out of crimson, you know, you know like or when uh, Gypsy's getting pushed back on the docks right. from Leatherback. Right. We had used giant train chuffs just to try to give the feeling. So we used a lot of subtle things. We did, at the last minute, we were trying to figure out, and Guillermo goes, I got a great idea. You know, remember we were kids, that cup with the string on it? That, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, the Guiro. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I remember playing with that. I got to find one. <laughs> so I found a couple guys who had one. I recorded a whole library, pitch bended, manipulated it, and created a laugh for Itachi. Just, just out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go, ah, 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 you know? Right. So, you know, there, there's, we ended up using on the sound effects side in the big battle scenes, Almost 2,000 tracks. Oh! <laughs> you know, it was the largest really? thing that... Uh, only 2,000? <laughs> yeah. basically, basically, the bicycle from the first track to the last track. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I always say, by the way, you, uh, Brandon gave, uh, put a sound in the trailer. Right. And, and we ended up using it. Yeah, that so, was that was a great compliment from uh, Guillermo that he was like, I like that. He was, I like that. He yeah. was, did you do that? I said, no. I said, <laughs> a buddy of mine did. <laughs> so I called him and said, how did you do that? And then, um, and then Brandon so, said, I'm not telling you. No, no, it was great. We, we, <laughs> we discussed it. And then I said, you know what? I, this, one, this one thing that was in the trailer, we ended up using it. I ended up making it bigger, you know, making it fuller. But, so that was great. I mean, it, it, again, at that point, I don't really care sometimes where it comes from. It's not, it's not an ego thing. It's, my job is to create an illusion. That's true. Of, and to get the viewers to listen to something. And... You know, there's so many sounds in this thing. Let me ask you a, a nuts and bolts question. Yes. Um, when you design sounds, because um, I work in a stereo world, even though I mix 5.1, most of the time I'm sound designing mono and stereo. Right. Do you, are your sounds stereo? Are you doing 5.1? You know, how are you designing your sounds? Do you, do you, or do you do a little bit of both? I mean, obviously the ambiences are all going to be 5.1, but like on Actually, some. Actually, no. Um, I hate to say it, but this is my first Atmos film. Mm -hmm. So we built everything with 48 speakers, which is why we went 2,000 tracks. <laughs> um, yeah, we were, we were, we, we designed it for Atmos and 7-1. So you, like 48 tracks per sound? BGs alone were probably 64 outputs with, in feeding that was 250 tracks. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that hurts my head as a mixer. <laughs> you know. Well, but the thing was, is I, you know, I say to my, my how was your pre-dub? All, all the mixers, I, and that was different. All the mixers really like my approach. Uh, I'm very mixer friendly because I, I come from mixing, and um, it's organized. The reality is, I can destroy a mixer in 16 tracks, but if I organize it where this fader is only the sub element of a footstep, this is only the mechanism of the of the arms. Everything is predictable. So when you go through the movie, that fader will be nothing more than that sound or that, that, that category of sounds. So by going wide, what's great is as CG changes, I can change with it. Um, instead of pre-dubbing normally, we, I, was, I, we, I did a different approach because I knew things could change and new CG was going to change. So we did it virtually both in the box and uh, they have a DFC. A beautiful DFC and it's massive. We did uh, we did all within automation. So instead of pre-dubbing it in a vacuum, 
We took the temps that we had, and Greg Rudloff was our effects mixer. And um, we actually started the final. Because so many times you go through the big battle scenes, you have the director there, the whole room's there, and everybody just loses their mind because we spend six hours, we rush through it, we don't get it right. One of the things I wanted to do is, you know, I tend to always overbuild because it's easier for me to pull a fader down than to, oh my God, there's a sound I need. We don't have the time to build it. So I'll bring in more than I know is going to work. For instance, there's lots of rain, there's lots of water. I probably only used 30% of it. Mm. Knowing, right. and I told Scott Wolf, is the, the, who did all that, amazing guy, and I, I told him, I said, look, I hate to say it, 70% of this is never going to see the light of day. So um, focus on this. Don't focus on this. Uh, the little rain that was going against Gypsy, I, I don't care. Music's probably going to mask it. Right. Um, but when we go underwater, the big transitions need to be exciting. Yeah. The big wave hits need to be exciting. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a good point because that's one thing I, I did notice is it kept the, the sound from getting cluttered. Yes. And that's – and By I heard, design. I'm not going to mention any names of any big directors who've done big movies with a lot of big things, but if you listen to some of those mixes, they are just so cluttered because yeah. you just everything is voiced, every little gizmo gadget, and it's just it just sounds like clutter, and it's and it's tiring. It, turn, it turns into a big band of white noise. Yeah, and it after does. After a while, you can't even, as the listener who wants to understand what's going on, you can't even discern what's what, yeah. and you walk out of the theater with a headache. And, and somebody and failed, you've got to be you know? able to, you know, like whether it's music or sound design, you got to give birth to it, and then you got to get rid of it if you need to. And that's the big thing. I'll be like, oh, but I spent all that time on it. I love that. But right now, it clashes with the music. So when you're sound designing for one of your big robots, right? Yeah. And, and you know, uh, it's so funny that you did say that you, you guys are, are mixer friendly because I've mixed one of the – I mixed the TV spot that your guys yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, yep. it was very mixer friendly. So it's I, always you're, is. Ab- you're absolutely right. He, you did not break me on 16 tracks. <laughs> You, well, it you is, pushed me with a hundred. But, but the reality is, if we prepare it correctly, yeah. it, it, it makes the mixer look good. It makes yeah. us look good. Yeah. All we want is a good product, and it's it's not about us. And I do, that, that I do is, the same with Scott. When I do stuff for DTS in yeah. eleven point one, I prepare only. Uh, there's going to be one sub only, yeah. one uh, whatever speaker only. It's just easier. To also, to and think is, that and, way. and even when we were talking about the ambiences, the noise, the rain, and all this. I when we first started mixing, I said these set of tracks take them out, don't even play them, and and when we need them, they're there, and if we don't need them, that's okay too. And when we uh, and and the thing is, one thing you're seeing with Pacific Rim is every mix is different, every format. We spent time. I spent three weeks on the Atmos mix. See, I gotta I gotta see that because I didn't and, see it in Atmos, and I wish. Yeah, I and we spent you know we and, and we spent time on each mix. A little bit different. And um, so a lot of times we would go through, we'd hear the music. Sometimes we would take apart elements of the music and not use them. Uh, Ramin did an amazing job. and But sometimes we'd say, uh, you know what, take out the percussion or take out this one piece. And I'll say, hey, there's an opening. You know what? For that one little shot, we're hitting the chest. The Jaeger's coming out of the, the giant um, garage. <laughs> and, and, and we see it. And let's hear a little bit of the rain on metal. And then get rid of it. So we had it. We had everything. So at that point, once we got together our 90% mix, we can then go in and add these little details. And then I, and, and I was never happy. So I 
through the whole mix, I'd go, okay, you know what? I need a high-end element there. I don't have one. So, because I'm hearing what the music's doing, and it's not cutting through. Right. So, no matter what I do, like, I did one thing of leather, a leatherback, where I wanted to make it more grounding down there. Music came up, couldn't hear any of it. Gone. So, I went, <laughs> all right. Because Guillermo looks at me and goes, where's leatherback? I said, eh. <laughs> Shut the music off. Oh, there it is. He, goes, he looks at me like, so. You know. But I think you talk about size before, and that was the first thing. When the first thing I played for Guillermo goes, let me hear your ideas. Let me think what you let me hear what you're thinking. And I knew the first thing I needed to do to to make him happy and and to start on this path was to come up with something big. So I came up with some footsteps and the first roars for both Knifehead and, and Leatherback. And I came up with something that literally made the light shake. And I said, okay, I'm on to something. <laughs> so then it had no detail, but it was just big. So Guillermo comes into my room and says, okay, this is, you got to be big. The big is important. I said, okay, okay, okay. Turned the volume in a normal thing, played it for him, and he just giggled. <laughs> and he just went, okay, that's big. <laughs> Thank you. See you later. So, so when you're doing the – because I'm trying to wrap my head around at sound design at, at this scale. When you're doing um, the big monsters. Control chaos, yeah. And you're actually sound designing the, the track layout. It's a, it's, you will sound design, obviously, like the roar here. But will you also, you know, will it be a surround roar? I mean, will you have yeah, the yeah. reflections coming off the back? Yes. Sound um, design? When I did it, it was all built with uh, reverbs built in. Okay. Um, I had two different sets of reverbs. I played around b- both with UAD stuff and Revibe and uh, Ultiverb and delays and um, different things that, yes, uh, different points. I always wanted the words to go from front to back. You know, so they always echoed behind you. See, that's like, that's, you know, your sound design is, is you're going into the mixing realm. I mean, that used to be, you know, mixers would add all the reverbs and stuff like that. But you're, you're, you're I, really doing The reality is, is nothing against traditional mixers, but I have more toys. Right. And Absolutely. I, I, and, and I didn't want it to be an exact reverb where it always sounded a certain same. But my, my, the way I look at it is my job is to design the sound, not to mix it. But... If the sound is to get big and to drift back and to have a certain uh, size, then that's what I have to do. Um, and that's part of the sound. But interestingly enough, um, I'm not sure if it was Leatherback or Tachi. I created this whole reverb thing in my room. It sounded great. Um, brought to the, the dubbing stage. We're pre-dubbing. Asked the mix away things. Yeah, it's good, it's good. At that point, you don't know. And I said, God, I, I, I don't feel like it's attaching to the screen. And, and he's like, yeah, I, you know, we both kind of agree. And I said, hmm. And what I did was, uh, uniquely, is I actually moved my whole room, and if you see my room, it's big, to actually the back room of the dubbing theater, uh, where, the cl- where usually the director hangs out. So I had my icon, the whole bit, all my outboard gear. You moved I it all? Moved it all. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's, so, that's not a small move, folks, <laughs> just so you know. So um, what I ended up doing was I did more mono. I actually monoed it a lot more, gave a better center, and it, it felt like it glued more to the picture. Right. And then because I was frantic, like, it's not working. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, ran in the back and let me redo it. Let me remaster it. And You know what? That's a great tip that if you're working on a project and it's not sticking, go to mono. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm mixing a TV show right now, and the very first thing we do with a lot of the effects that come in is – 
I strip them down to mono because what happens is they get a little too wide yeah. and like door slams and things like that, and you just it just doesn't stick. It's not real. That's a that's a really good. And then tip. we we ran into an interesting. I mean, God, I could speak for days on this, but we did a seven one was our main mix, and Greg did such a great job of even moving things around seven one that when we got to the Atmos, we thought we were going to have three pure weeks of mixing, and we ended up getting about two weeks plus of pure mixing because we have to do a lot of mastering which took a lot longer than we anticipated um, how much do we want to unwind the mix but we spent so much time going every little sound and, and there were times where we'd, we'd go okay it sounds great come back the next day and it was just clustered just mess and we go you know okay now let's go in again and let's go through it and figure out what we could take out or how we want to push things or do we want to put a multi-band limiter on a, a 3K because it's hurting our ears or, right. or, 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 or. I mean, there's so many, you know. Yeah. Man, man, that, that's, all I can say is well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, really? you know, it's a great crew. It's, uh, it's kind of my all-star team of, of guys that I ended up working with. And it's great because uh, I just I want to call out to these guys because they're great. Uh, I used to get him Shaba Wagner. Um, who's kind of uh, uh, newer in the business? Uh, Tim Walston, that I did some work with on Star Trek and stuff like that. Steve Robinson has been with me forever. Uh, like I said, Charlie Capagna um, and uh, Scott Wolf did our BGs and effects, and we and even a couple more people. But that was our our main core. And Margit did all the dialogue. It was a good crew. It was kind of like a band where you assemble people you always like to work with, always wanted to work with. And they learn your style, you trust them, and then it becomes shorthand. So then as I direct them and work and, 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 and move in certain ways, we get there easily. Like with, you know, so I'm not fighting. No, no, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. It's just boom, boom, boom. And, um, yeah, you know. Does anyone ever say, it's okay, I'm with the band? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that... Yeah, but you I know can, what? Okay, music is, you know, musicians, they can record orchestra and everything, but they don't get to smash containers. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that is massive. <laughs> that's well, I was saying, that's I, impressive. I thought of you, Diego. Uh, one, of, one of the cool things we did, which some people aren't sure if it's music or effect, mm-hmm. um, all the Jaegers had a signature horn. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and Ramin loved it. I think, you know, he went out, can I put it on my album? You know, um, you know, for that, we ended up taking a combination of the Queen Mary horn, which we recorded, which was massive. Two, we used uh, guitars yep. and Tibetan horns. Nice. Wow. <laughs> and um, to give it something, and we, you know, I did in fifths and octaves and made it fat. And, yep. You know, really cute different frequencies. So it goes, you know, has that, you know, gypsies here to the rescue yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So, you know, that was kind of fun. And we just, all these weird things and, and uh, you know, uh, because we wanted something unusual, right, right. And um, but seriously, there's a level of fun involved with sound design. Oh, absolutely, that is way beyond absolutely. music. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Scott, I have a quick question yes. for you. When you were doing the cargo container recording, yes, did you do any recording to analog tape to Inagra, or did you do everything digitally? No, you know, we. Um, I, uh, I don't believe so. I'm trying to think of the rigs that we had. I don't believe so. We did 788s, 744s, FR2s. All the sound design stuff. Yeah, sound, yeah. Um, no, but we, we, we went back and forth with that. I don't think we needed to, mm-hmm. but we used like D112 mics and, you know, it, we used all the mics you would normally use a drum set with. Yep. 
and then and then some. Yeah, of course, for that kind of dynamic pressure. Yeah, let's do what right. we know, and then we sh- our gun. It's kind of like we took everything we knew from making a drum and then doing a gun shoot. Did you break anything? I mean, any capsule exploded at some point? Because that is really no. You know, <laughs> I, I think I don't think some of them didn't sound as good. We used the uh, the fatheads. Uh huh. You know, used those. I mean, it was just on and on and on. Um, the iPhone. Taped on as it's yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what we did use? We used a couple handful of portables. And those books, you know, crap. Right, right, paper. right. So you used like 30 mics and like 29 machines, right? Yeah. <laughs> we used a lot of 788s. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, you know, and some of it was great. And, you know, it, you do, you could easily get to the point, which we were close to, with having so many options and so many tracks that... You just go, God, because oh, yeah. you compress this. Wow, this didn't sound good, but if I compress it, now it did. We did a, a giant stamper. We hmm. went out. I pretty much lived in Lancaster. So we went to all these industrial parks. <laughs> I'm sorry. And they, got these, <laughs> <laughs> and they got these giant things that stamp out metal, and they literally shake the ground. Wow. Yeah. And that was a part of the footsteps. Wow. That's so, I mean, just, I mean, you go on and on and... You know. ah, fantastic. Well, hey, listen, we are we are running long, but you know what, guys, we're going to reconvene this panel. Yes. We uh, we have to because there's so much I wanted to get to. I, I've my notes, but you know, I wanted to talk about what tools we use. Your go, you know what? I we have to do that really quick. Well, containers, really, <laughs> really quick. What's like? Give me a, a tool, software, hardware, a go to when you need to do some sound design. What's a tool that you use? You mean an okay. essential piece of technology? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start it and okay. I'll, I'll give you. Okay. Like, if I need to come up with this sound and and I'm in a mix, uh, my go-to, and it doesn't always work, but I love going to Curtis, an, I, an oh, iPad yeah. app that oh. can just, granular it's thing. granular and can just do the most bizarre sounds. Like, oh, if you need a bizarre call sound. Call out to Mike, thank you for introducing me to Curtis's in the movie. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? In the high tech, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that's like, you know, you know, you samplers, but that's like really quick and easy, and I can get something weird. And the cool thing about Curtis is you can record, you know, and then you come right, back, right. And, you know. So that's a that's a go to. Well, there's I don't have one only. I can tell you one. Give me one. Convolution reverbs. Okay. Because I make my own custom IRs. Great, that's awesome. Scott, really quick. Give me a give me a go to. Besides containers, by definition, I am a gear whore. Yep, and I collect everything that I can think of. And the go to, I guess, would be pitch and reverse. I mean, so any, but I, but I couldn't even tell you which pitch one I use because, to me, honest, because you have them all. I use, <laughs> I pretty much do. Um, I, I use a dozen EQs because every EQ, whether it's a Neve EQ yeah, exactly. or a phase linear, I mean, it's so, it's like different yeah, flavor. I, yeah, it's a different flavor. All right. Brett. Uh, God, I guess. Uh, don't, don't what's that? Give me something. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Reactor, um, uh, concrete performer. Mm, okay. Um, uh, what else? Uh, you know what I really love? And maybe this isn't exactly a sound design tool traditionally, uh, but in terms of taking bits of stuff, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, I'm sure you are, with Zenaptec, yes. with Unveil, with oh, taking yeah. things. We just, we just bought all, all the machines have it now. Yeah. Where you need to get and, and leave aside extraneous information from a file and like really get the beef of something, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Great. Nick. Uh, my favorite sound design tool is the Kima from Symbolic yes. Sound. Ah, I love that thing, particularly using do an iPad. I do. 
okay. and you use an iPad to control it. I have never heard smoother pitch shifting and smoother real-time expressivity in terms of sound design performance. Kima, that's, you know what? Yeah, Kima Nick, is badass. Nick, yeah. <laughs> Nick, you, you, you impressed. Thank you very much. Brandon. Uh, there's so many, but um, I love saturating things and distortion. Yeah. So I, you know, Isotopes Trash and Trash love Two, Trash Two, uh, Camel Audio Sausage Fat, uh, or not Sausage Fat, uh, Camel <laughs> Fat. <laughs> there's, there's another plugin called Sausage Fat, oh, really? which is awesome. It's like a distortion. Did you try the, you tried Saturn? Saturn? the Home Force? Oh yeah, Saturn from uh, Fab Filter. Yeah, Fab Filter and awesome. Home Force. Uh, I don't have Home Atom, Force. Home Side. <laughs> oh, no, seriously, you're gonna one. try home force. Home force, I'll check it out. It's gonna blow your mind. It's, it's, <laughs> see, you get them talking. I knew it. Start home to force is like uh, when you are beyond. Okay, when you're ready to go into real messing with distortions, mm. then you try that stuff. Nice. I'll check All right. It. Well, hey, listen. Uh, I'm writing this down. We're gonna. It's like a drill <laughs> to your brain. No, seriously. It's, uh, First of all, um, or man, we could go on for hours, but we're gonna stop right now. But I no, want to. I want to. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, for uh, for joining us, and I wish we could uh, spend some more time. But tell us really quick a little bit about what you do over at uh, Disney Publishing and some of the stuff you've done, and just before that. Sure. Uh, well, well, thanks, Mike. It's been absolutely awesome hanging out with such a uh, wonderful group of colleagues, and so thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's just great. Um, at Disney Publishing, I work on a lot of iPad apps. Um, after doing video games for a really long time, and now that I have small kids, it's really nice for me to work on a lot of learning stuff right. and a lot of smaller and more gentle kinds of entertainment. Tell and us so a, really a couple great. of the titles that you've done. Battlefront, I know that one. I've played that one. Uh, let's see. As far, yeah, going earlier in my career, oh, just, Star Wars Battlefront, I was the audio director of Lego Star Wars. Lego nice. Star Wars. I know. Awesome. And um, <laughs> the audio director of Guitar Hero Van Halen, which oh, was pretty right. awesome. Wow. So I got to remix all of that Van Halen music and work with the boys, which wow. was pretty fantastic. Um, my first video game was Grim Fandango. Which I know is, yeah, Grim. It's a, that's Holy a, a smokes. classic. That is a classic. That was so awesome. It was so great. That is such a great game. You it ever play was, that? Anybody ever play that? That yeah, was it's that just was this wonderful phenomenal game. Phenomenal. You know, phenomenal music. Peter McConnell, the well, composer yeah. for it. And the environment, the, your sound was awesome. Thank you. I, you know what? Thank I can you. shake your hand afterwards. But <laughs> no, seriously, because that was one of those games. When it came out, it literally blew the socks off of the whole the genre because it was so real and the the atmospheres and the whole story and it was just it took the whole um role playing it just took the whole adventure thing just another notch up i mean it really it really was a was a uh, game changer when it and came that out. was because it had great writing it was because tim Schafer, the guy who invented the whole thing just wrote an incredible script and so everything else it always comes from there if you have a great idea then you know and you get the right people around it to be oh. able to sort of dress it up then and then yeah. you get something really neat fantastic um, so that's that and then and now at disney you know i work on everything you you'd think of you know i just finished the apps for planes and for monsters university and, nice. You know, a lot of other stuff like that. So it's really neat. I get to dip into all sorts of different franchises all across the whole thing. So wow. I really enjoy look it. At, look at Nick, man. Seriously. Out now, the when group. he said Kima, it was really all right. <laughs> all right, he is one of us. But then when he said Grim Fandango, yes. I want to kiss him. <laughs> Cheek only, a, please. That, that is... That is such an awesome game. No, seriously, that's like my all-time one of my all-time favorites. I can tell. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That's really awesome. I'm gushing, that's but really you know, awesome. I've, been, I've been playing video games for a long time. Yep. I've been playing video games while we're doing this podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what he's been doing. 
All right. Well, hey, like I said, we're going to – for sure you're coming back. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. Um, but uh, – and Brett, thank you for joining us. And, uh, and I know you've been working on uh, some really cool stuff. Uh, Marvel – right now, Marvel, Marvel Heroes uh, MMO. Um, before that, Marvel Heroes for Disney XD. And uh, before that, a bunch of mixed stuff that I have on IMDb. Uh, but really, I'd like to talk more about Pacific Rim. Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, the MMO, man, this talk about having to design and work your butt off. Brett has just been doing, just working around the clock and. There was you not know, much hundreds. sleep in 2012, I will say that. Just tons sure. of char- I mean, all these different characters, they all have to be different. They all have to sound different. They all have to have unique personalities. I mean, it's it was a pretty pretty massive job and still is because I know he's still working on it. Brandon? All sorts of stuff. Uh, the superheroes and monster movies never stop. Right. So we got working on a lot of new Marvel stuff right now. Um, working on Captain America and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, a new Warner Brothers one. I, I guess I, I don't know if I can say it, but uh, don't say it. But another giant monster. <laughs> <laughs> and and Scott, what are you doing next? Well, um, you know, I, nothing. <laughs> well, um, yes, <laughs> uh, you know, but I will say though, um, the, uh, I guess the big news of my life is uh, I changed companies. So that after 27 years, I, I uh, finished my tenure with Soundlux. And at a new startup called Formosa Group, with a lot of uh, familiar faces that I've they've grown up with, and uh, we're right now bought thirty Pro Tool systems. <laughs> so we're building and and building rooms and acousticizing. And now I went from a, a D command to a D control. Wow! So um, it's good to be the boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's fun. I mean, you know, we. Uh, uh, Again, it's just it's 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 starting and rebuilding and learning what we did right for the last thirty years and and seeing what other people have done that have really inspired us uh, and how they put their studios together and uh, and maybe learning a little bit something from everybody else. Are you um really quick? Are you are you doing eleven? Are you on ten over? Uh, we we've got uh, t- was a ten three eight and eleven combo. Gotcha. Uh, we're, we're still on uh, 10 right now. Um, we are investigating. We're, the only problem we have to date as of this date is that we wish the new Macs were out, sort of, maybe, right, kind of, right. not. Um, so we realized that the, all the Macintoshes will probably need to be swapped out, uh-huh. I'd say, within a year. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to let it, it kind of settle a little bit. Uh, we've looked at 11. We've played with 11 a little bit. Uh, not all the plugins are there, uh-huh. and plugins are important to us, so... We've got 1038. We're working within that paradigm. And then when it makes sense for us, we'll, we'll switch over. But the biggest thing I think we've been doing lately is everything now is 32-bit. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, we, we dropped 24. The summing, I like the su- sound of the summing at 32-bit. That gives you a lot of latitude for sound manipulation, too, at 32-bit. It, 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 you know, for me, some people thought it was subtle. The way I compare visually uh, 24-bit to 32-bit is when you look at a TV and you look at the black color, some TVs just look black. Black is black, and it's kind of single. Then some TVs, all of a sudden you see all the grayscales, and you see detail within the shadows that have a much little more clarity to them. That is the difference for me between the 24-bit and the 32-bit, especially in sounds that have no fundamental but are Uh noise-based. You hear a little more of the detail to them 
So that's what I found. We'll have to uh, visit that as you get up and running and see how yeah. things go. Diego, how about you? Well, I am holed up in my lab because I am working on a few things that I don't want to say a word now because I don't know exactly what shape they will take, but it's interesting. You know what? That's a good thing about you, Diego. (laughs) Let me just tell you. If there's somebody who can keep a secret here, it's Diego because he will not tell anybody what he's doing. (laughs) Anybody. I'll call him up and I'll, hey, we'll talk and I'll ask what he's doing, and that's the exact same answer that I get. (laughs) Because I want to make sure that eventually if I get to do something nice, I mean, I didn't spot it or right. I didn't say much at the beginning because maybe I won't be able to do it. Right. I mean, it's not likely, but <laughs> <laughs> I have my own way of digesting the process of doing things. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like Monty Python where I want to just cut his head, lift it up, <laughs> yes. take it the side, and put it back down. You know? uh, oh, that's awesome. So, Mike, what are you up to? Um, right now, uh, I'm mixing a um, couple things for Fox. I'm doing their uh, ADHD animation block on Saturday nights. So nice. I'm mixing uh, Axe Cop and doing sound design for that and also doing High School USA. Wow. And um, I work with uh, a really good friend of mine, Yal Dooley, and, um, and two guys working on this. And we you know, do sound design and then I do the mix and then we show it and it's a quick turnaround, boy. It's like, okay, here it is at four o'clock and <laughs> we're doing sound, editing, approvals, mix, the whole thing and she's coming at three the next day. So wow. it's like, boom. So he works in the night, I work in the day and wow. and wow. We, we knock it out. But um, but it's fun. It's fun to see it on, on TV and stuff and the people that we work with over at ADHD are really great and it's just fun. So it's fun doing that and it's good to be um, working on TV again. Nice. You know, it's really the sign of a pro, you know, when you're working on stuff at something and you know that the deadline is the deadline and that's just what yeah. you got to do. Oh, and yeah. after a while it just becomes... This has got to be done by 3 o'clock, and we're going to make it work. Yeah. You know, that, you know what? That's, that'll be in our next Sound Designers podcast. <laughs> because sound design, right? Tell me if this is not true. Sound design is probably one of the most important things get, that gets the least amount of time. You know, most of the time. You know, post-production you know. in general. Yeah. 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 Like, it's so important, you know, but you get zip amount of time. Audio is always at the end and the problem is that the graphics and the CG it and all that be stuff goes post-production late. post-production in the first place. But the place. deadlines at the end don't change. <laughs> yeah. It's got to ship and it's got to ship right. and so then yeah. the audio production is what squeezes and squeezes. Well, I say, you know, it's interesting. I've done, you know, I did like Underworld in six weeks or something. Crazy. And then I did Pacific Room in 18, 18 months. So you think, oh my God, you had all this time. Nope. I still had the CG comes in at the moment. Yeah. How much do you want us to cover? Yeah. Everything. All right. Everybody. Yeah. You know, four days. Well, you know what? I'd like to thank all you guys for being here. And uh, if you have any comments or questions for any of us on the on the panel, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And if you want to come join us, just ask Nick, man. It works. Like a charm is nice. <laughs> just make sure you Especially have a, if you work at Disney. That's right. <laughs> just make sure you have a Kima. No. Yeah. Well, yes. Yes. That is a no, seriously. Um, but uh, if you, you know, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com and you can also check us out on our Facebook page and um, thank you guys thank for, you. Uh, for showing us. At the next one, I promise we're going to do this again because one of the things I want to talk about is some of the newer technologies mm. um, to help us as sound designers and some of the new controllers that are out there. Yeah. You know, Keith Mullins has some really cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I just got uh, – 
uh, Ableton Push. I got Ableton 9. Uh, Ableton 9. I mean, there's some really cool things that we need to get into, but we're going to do that next time. How's that for a tease? All right. Nice. But I, I guarantee you it's not going to be the next podcast. It'll probably be. <laughs> Maybe two podcasts. Maybe three podcasts. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So whenever Diego can make it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um, I want to thank uh, Jeremy uh, for helping us out in Yay. the engineering on this yep. thing. And I uh, also want to thank Colin for helping us out, too. Um, they're in the back room. So for myself and all the guys, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Woo! Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>